Welcome to the Revenue Cycle Minute, brought to you by the passionate practitioners of Warbird Revenue Cycle Optimization. The Revenue Cycle Minute is designed to bring you best practice revenue cycle ideas and strategies while enabling your entrepreneurial spirit. Our goal is to educate, entertain, offer new perspectives, and inspire you to take action. Without further delay, welcome to the Revenue Cycle Minute. Welcome to this special masterclass presentation brought to you by Warbird Revenue Cycle Optimization, where our mission is to educate, entertain, and inspire you to take action. My name is John Bain, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Lori Daigle. Over the past several weeks, we've received calls from hospitals all across the country expressing confusion over CMS's updates within the 2023 OPPS final rule. While the 2023 final rule was limited in scope, it is very detailed and requires a thoughtful and informed approach to ensure successful implementation. We created this presentation to address the most frequently asked questions. Thank you for trusting us with your most valuable commodity, your time. Our goal is to provide you with specific detail that can be immediately incorporated into your revenue cycle, thereby shortening the learning curve, easing implementation, and facilitating success. Our team at Warbird Revenue Cycle Optimization is comprised of passionate practitioners. Our team has decades of experience performing every function within the revenue cycle. This allows us the ability to relate and empathize with the concerns, opportunities, and frustration experienced by staff throughout your revenue cycle. Likewise, our revenue cycle optimization team has worked with every type and size of hospital. This allows us to customize solutions that fit your culture, situation, and customer. If you have any questions on the material covered today or other revenue cycle concerns, our contact detail is provided at the end of the presentation. Please feel free to email, call, or text. We want to be your revenue cycle resource. Let's get started. Lori has reviewed the rule and boiled it down to salient points that we think are important for you to review and consider. Today, we will review the OPPS final rule. We're gonna discuss new CPTs and HICPICs that have been implemented and the requirements of each. And then we're gonna provide some implementation dates where applicable. So our goal is to give you some framework to be able to judge where you are today compared to where you should be and allow you to be able to vet your implementation success thus far. I want to bring Lori into the conversation now. Lori, thank you for putting this together and welcome to the conversation. So I want to start with talking about a pretty significant change for critical access hospitals. CMS has um, put into their OPPS final rule that non-physician practitioners can act as supervising physicians for diagnostic services. They can provide general, direct, or personal supervision for services such as stress tests, cath lab, diagnostic tests, things like that. And that's a pretty significant change. In the final rule, it also says that it would depend upon the scope of practice in your applicable state. Not every state has regulations governing how clinical nurse specialists, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and other advanced care practitioners can supervise. For instance, West Virginia does. And West Virginia's state guidelines state that a nurse practitioner can practice autonomously. So there would be no issue with a nurse practitioner providing this type of supervision. 
Physicians assistants can practice in collaboration with physicians in any practice setting. So they too could provide this supervision under that collaboration. In that particular state, there are no legislation that I could find regarding CRNAs or certified nurse midwives. So in your state, you would probably want to take a look at all of the Board of Medicine guidelines to see whether or not you may have restrictions on this particular change. CMS will be discontinuing reimbursement for audio-only telehealth at the end of the public health emergency. This was just extended again on January 11th. So it will go for 90 days this round. And at that point, if it expires, you have 151 days to change your processes, make sure things are scheduled appropriately if you have things scheduled in advance, et cetera. Audio-only telehealth at the end of that period will be considered covered but provider liable. This means it will be allowed, but the allowed amount will be zero. And this is to make sure that nobody bills the patient for audio-only services. Now, this audio-only requirement excludes some mental health visits, particularly um, substance use disorder visits. There's another guideline that is related to the public health emergency, and that's requiring an in-person exam from mental health telehealth. 151 days after the public health emergency ends, Medicare will start requiring that patients that are having their, their visits via telehealth be seen within six months face-to-face, -face, and then once every 12 months after that, they have to be seen face-to-face. This can be waived if the patient is in a qualifying originating site and it's an, and they're in a HIPSA area. So if they are in a healthcare physician shortage area, they can have a telehealth without a face-to-face -face visit, but the patient has to go to an originating site. The patient will no longer be able to have that visit at home. If the telehealth is for the purpose of substance abuse, they can also get a waiver. And if the patient and practitioner both agree that the benefit of continuing treatment outweighs the risk of not having that face-to-face -face if they either would not comply or cannot get in, in to get a face-to-face -face visit, then in that case, it would be documented that both agree and it could be waived then as well. We have a new remote outpatient hospital mental health treatment codes. And these codes are for staff that's licensed to treat mental health and substance abuse disorders but that are not physicians or non-physician practitioners. So these guidelines allow licensed clinical social workers, MSWs, psychologists, who are licensed to treat mental health, evaluate and treat disorders, but are not physician or non-physician practitioners. They can provide these services on an outpatient basis. The patient must be in their home. And the patient's home can be defined as a private residence, an assisted living facility. They can be in a hotel or a shelter if that's where they reside or have to stay. Um, but they cannot be in a practice to have this remote outpatient service. The codes for this is C9700 for the first 15 to 29 minutes and C97, C7901 for 30 to 60 minutes. C7901 is not an add-on code. You would bill either of these. If the visit is less than 15 minutes, you bill nothing. If it's up to 29 minutes, C7900. If it's 
over 29 minutes and 30 to 60 minutes, you would bill C7901. There is an add-on code C7902 that is for an additional 15 minutes and can only be billed if you achieve the entire 15 minutes, so a 75-minute visit. We have prior authorization changes for facet joint interventions. And these include facet joint injections, medial branch blocks, and facet nerve destruction. Effective for dates of service after, on or after July 1st, 2023, prior authorization will be required. CMS did submit a transmittal to Max saying that they had to prepare for this and they had to develop a process for prior authorization but that's not yet complete. So we'll be looking for more information as we get closer to July. We have a new modifier, JZ, and this signifies no discarded amounts of a single dose or single use of packaged drugs. And this is because Medicare felt that JW modifier was not being properly applied. The JW modifier started around 2007 and the requirement at that time was that you had to report any drug waste using JW modifier. If you had a single dose, single use vial, and you wasted at least a hick pick of the drug that was in that vial, you have to report that separately. The amount that was administered would be on one line, and you would have a second line of the same hick pick code with a JW modifier and indicating how much of that drug was wasted. CMS feels like these are not being properly used and the waste is not being properly reported. So now you have to report modifier JZ to signify that no discarded waste was in that single dose, single use drug vial. They specify that the unused amount is the label amount minus the prescribed dose. And they do this to give you some, some leeway if there's overfill in the vial. You don't actually have to measure any overfill that may be in that vial. You do have to count any amount that's left in the line or in the syringe hub as waste. If, you, if that gets you to the point where you've wasted an entire hick pick, you do have to have that on a separate line documenting that amount of waste. Otherwise, the JZ modifier signifies that you do not have any waste in that vial. They specified that you don't have to document separately that there was no waste, but you do still have to document appropriately. So you would still have to document the amount that was ordered and the amount that was administered. This change is mandatory effective July 1. You have to start using JZ modifier July 1st, and Medicare has charged Max with being ready to start editing effective October 1st. And since this goes into effect July 1st, they probably will be able to edit retroactively. CMS has also responded to the Supreme Court ruling on 340B drugs. The AHA and other organizations sued CMS saying they did not have the authority to reimburse a discounted rate for drugs that were purchased via the 340B program. And the C Supreme Court agreed. So now CMS has to pay those providers that are reimbursed on fee-for-service the same amount that they would for other Part B drugs. That doesn't affect really the way critical access hospitals are reimbursed. However, critical access hospitals do still have to append modifier J 
JG to signify that the drug was purchased via 340B. A number of procedures were removed from the inpatient only list. And these are mostly reconstruction, mid-face, or nasomaxillary fracture repair codes. This whole code range was removed from the inpatient only list, and now these can be performed outpatient. A number of procedures were also added to the inpatient only list. And this includes a lot of the new hernia repair codes. These are, are new codes effective in 2023 for repair of anterior abdominal hernias. They, we've broken down the way hernias should be reported by initial and recurrent, by whether or not they're reducible, incarcerated or strangulated, and then the size of the repair that's necessary. And the codes that ended up being inpatient only procedures would be an initial that's incarcerated or strangle, strangulated and greater than 10 centimeters, and a number of the recurrent anterior abdominal hernia repair codes. Anything three to 10 centimeters and greater that's incarcerated or strangulated, and anything greater than 10 centimeters that's reducible are considered inpatient only. There are two new repair of parastomal hernia codes that are inpatient only as well. CMS decided in the final rule they were going to make permanent these remote behavioral health services from outpatient hospital clinical staff. These were part of the public health emergency and now they will be made permanent. And these have that same guideline that they have to be in person within six months of the first outpatient hospital visit. We have one skin substitute code deleted. That's C1849, high cost skin substitute, synthetic, resorbable per square centimeter. And this was deleted because CMS does not have any, not otherwise specified high cost skin substitutes anymore. Now, everything that is a high-cost skin substitute is a brand name and product-specific. So you would use the most appropriate product-specific hip picks. We still have A4100 for low-cost skin substitutes. CMS created new hip picks for prolonged services because the AMA hip picks do not specify that you have to reach the end of the time period in order to report the code. So now with these new three codes, it specifies in the code that they cannot be reported for any unit of time less than the entire 15 minutes. We have G0316 for prolonged hospital and observation evaluation and management. And these would be add on to the highest level codes for observation and inpatient evaluation and management and they can only be reported if you exceed the time for the highest level by at least 15 minutes. G0317 is for prolonged nursing facility evaluation and it has the same requirements. You cannot report it for any unit of time less than the complete 15 minutes beyond the highest level code. And G0318 is a new code for prolonged home or residence evaluation and management services. We have a number of new drugs, picks that are effective in 2023. This will be difficult for organizations to manage as well. 
These new codes are for brand name drugs that are not therapeutically equivalent to the drugs that are represented by the current HCPCS, those that we would consider the more generic versions of these drugs. So these drugs are all brand name. They're drugs that would otherwise be fairly common for the most part in the hospital, acetaminophen, cefazolin, cefepime, things like that. But these are brand names and they vary differently in their therapeutic usage. So the pharmacy needs to make sure that if they're purchasing these therapeutically, not therapeutically equivalent drugs, that they represent them appropriately. Physicians, when they're ordering drugs, have to specify whether or not they want these drugs. And then staff has to make sure that they have a mechanism for ensuring they're administering the right drug. A few codes that have been revised. J0131, which used to just be an, an injection of acetaminophen, 10 milligrams, now specifies in the name that it's not otherwise specified meaning this is the more generic form of the drug, not any of the ones that are considered therapeutically different from this. We have J0610, that used to be a generic form of calcium glutinate, and now it's a brand name only, Fresenius Cabi. So this you have to make sure you update in your charge master and in the pharmacy the way that it's used. J9041, injection of bortezomib, actually became a generic form and had the brand name Velcade removed. And we have two new chronic pain management codes. And these are monthly bundle codes to be used like all the other chronic care codes that are being created. These are G3002 and G3003. G3002 rep represents 30 minutes of chronic pain management. And since this is evaluating, monitoring, and treating the patient, this has to be performed by a physician or a non-physician practitioner. It has to be somebody who can diagnose the, the problem. The add-on code G3003 is for an additional 15 minutes beyond the 30 minutes. And that has to be met or exceeded to report that code. G3002 has to be met or exceeded for 30 minutes. So a visit less than 30 minutes cannot be billed. Thank you, Lori. Great information. If you have any questions, I will encourage you to reach out and get in contact with us. We are happy to help. We want to be your revenue cycle partner. As we bring this to a close, it's important to understand that understanding the impact of the 2023 OPPS final rule is important whether you're an academic medical center, community PPS, or critical access hospital. Staff within your organization must understand the scope and impact of the information provided today. Please use the details to question Revenue Cycle staff and engage participants to ensure that you're set up to showcase best practice Revenue Cycle operations. The process won't be easy or quick, but it can significantly impact your hospital and your patient's experience if done correctly. We hope you found the information provided helpful today and that you use the detail to validate your progress to date or to organize a process to meet the deadlines and be compliant. If you need any assistance, please get in touch with us to see how we can assist. On behalf of Lori and the entire Warbird Revenue Cycle Optimization team, thank you for spending time with us today. 
Until next time, this is John Bain reminding you that revenue cycle success is never an accident. It is always the direct result of daily focused action. We hope today's discussion has inspired you to take action and make your facility's revenue cycle a competitive advantage. Until our next discussion, be safe, be entrepreneurial, and take action. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Revenue Cycle Minute. If you have any questions about this topic, suggestions for a future podcast, or questions in general, please email us at jbain at warbirdcp.com. That's J-B-E-H-N at W-A-R-B-I-R-D-C-P dot com. Our goal is to provide content that is meaningful and represents your needs. Please visit our website at www.warbirdconsulting.com where you can contact us directly, receive industry updates, and gain access to on-demand webinars. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review. Remember, success within your revenue cycle is a direct reflection of focus and expectation. We hope this podcast provided new perspectives and most importantly, prompts you to take action. We want the Revenue Cycle Minute to be your go-to revenue cycle podcast. Please come back soon and join us for another episode. Until then, stay well, be entrepreneurial, and take action.